where's the first place Paul goes? Almost every missionary journey goes right to the synagogue. He goes to God-fearing people, and he explains how to make disciples. Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. This is season five, where we're asking the question, what legacy will my church leave? Check out this season's trailer for a full explanation. We're jumping in to catch up with JT in Southern California about what God has done there over the last few years. If you're not familiar with this story, check out the show notes for links to previous episodes. I started by asking about their Sunday morning gathering. If you came to a normal Sunday gathering, the, the structure would look very similar to many churches around the nation, but you would probably walk around out and say, wow, they sure talk a lot about reaching lostness or house church. Like this Sunday, we're planning a church in Long Beach, and it's, it happens to be out of the one of my, a church from my living room. And it's a young couple, newly married, you know, a year ago, uh, they weren't even following Jesus. And now they're planting a church in the new house. Now that they've started to follow Jesus and live according to the way, you know, striving to live like Christ. And they have a ton of lost people in their neighbor, in their, in their lives. And so we're going to interview them and say, tell us your story. Tell us what that looks like. And they're going to worship corporately. They're going to hear a message, but it's, we just finished the book of Acts. We're very missional, very outreach focused, but also saying there's another element to, to Sunday that to, to church than just this. And it's more than a small group. It's actually um, church. And then sometimes we'll talk about, hey, hey, this church we launched on this stage a year ago, and they wanted to become autonomous. Now they're back visiting. And they tell us about who you've multiplied with. So we do a lot of that, along with um, corporate worship, corporate prayer, and corporate teaching. So that, that's kind of what we do on a Sunday. Now, it's probably the most powerful vehicle we have right now is uh, to let runners run as a residency. We gather twice a month. Um, early in the morning, because most of them are bi- bivocational, co-vocational people, and we just teach them multiplying principles, but we also share the rhythms, we, the wins that from the rhythms we agree upon. And that's being in the harvest regularly, training others, being in a three-thirds house church, abiding in Jesus. So we'll talk about the rhythms. And the cool thing about this, this is the second round for the residency. And so now I'm not teaching it. The people that went through it the first time are the ones teaching it. So we've multiplied that and handed that off. With the goal, the third time around, we're going to multiply and they're going to run their own. So that's another mechanism that we use. And then the rest is just trying to multiply house church and coach those people that are doing it. Man, so I think a lot of people would say like, hey, that's not going to work. You can't both hold like an existing Sunday morning and also release. I guess what challenges of that has that brought about, if any? It's a challenge. And I've learned a ton. Early on, I was just so gung-ho about looking at the scriptures and seeing what's going on and what God was doing in our hearts and in our lives in Africa and trying to apply that here. And I made a lot of mistakes. And one of the bigger mistakes we made is we changed language on people. Hmm. And we used kind of no place left language instead of just pointing them straight to the scriptures. The way many people took that was, oh, so you're saying if we don't do this, what I've been doing for 40 years isn't what God wants. In some cases, that might have been the case, but in a lot of cases, no, what you're doing and what God's called you to is, is, is exactly what God wants for you, but he also wants you to have a, a mindset of, um, of lostness in, in the midst of that. 
we are supposed to gather as a church and care for one another. It's very biblical. It's very much the patterns of Paul and Jesus. You know, there's this divide often that I don't think is necessary. And that's probably the biggest learning curve we're learning. There doesn't have to be, oh, I'm a house church person or I'm a legacy person. We're going to say, well, what, what has God called us to? And our particular calling is this hybrid model. And I've been looking at the scriptures, Acts, and the patterns of Paul and the patterns of Jesus. How much did Jesus spend with the religious establishment? And it wasn't all negative. You know, look at Nicodemus. He was a person of peace that was highly respected. Back then, it was people seeking Yahweh that don't know the gospel. And I think there's a lot of people that are pursuing God, that know God, that know Jesus. But he came and started explaining how to make disciples in the midst of that. And then I look at the patterns of Paul. Where's the first place Paul goes? Almost every missionary journey goes right to the synagogue. He goes to God-fearing people, and he explains how to make disciples, and he models that. And I think we're adopting that pattern and saying, hey, you might have been at, at this particular church building for 40 years. Let's explain how you have some people in your lives that you could help make disciples, so you can do that. And so the priesthood of believers is really what we focus on. And say, you know, how, how do we help you engage in the, the two parts of the new the Great Commission is make disciples and then teach people to obey all I've commanded you. We've gotten a lot better at the filtering process. Um, I can kind of tell the reason you really don't want to do this has nothing to do with whether you like house church or not. It's really you don't want to engage lostness quite possibly, or you don't really want to be nudged towards obedience. And that's where we're pretty unapologetic about. That that's what God calls us to be about. But we found, if we look at Antioch, if they were sending their best, I don't think we can outgive God. And so far, mm. it has every time we send and launch, God brings people and fills in that vacuum that probably wouldn't have stepped up had we not launched people that are called to, to launch. Now, many of the house churches stay under our umbrella, and we we celebrate. Many of the house church, some of the house churches feel like they want to become autonomous and they become, you know, connected with us locally, but completely autonomous. And if they're a healthy house church, we celebrate that as well. Any dynamic of people that are involved in both Sunday morning church and a house church or maybe two house churches. And how does that play out? Let me tell you a quick story. Uh, this, there's two couples that started coming to our, our gathering. They're, we're 100% house church people. And I asked them, I said, we went out to dinner, you know, and I kind of knew them through some other people. It was funny because we're sitting there at dinner and the two husbands came and they said, hey, how can we serve your church? How can we serve neighbors and nations? And I paused and I said, that's a good question. I appreciate your spirit. I said, but to be honest, I want to ask you the same, the, that question. How can we serve you? I said, you guys have house church. You have a, a target you're going after. You're, you're obeying Jesus in a very specific calling. It's really our job to serve you. And it really was a fascinating conversation. And they said, well, to be quite honest, we feel a bit isolated because it's just us, us two couples, and then those who are reaching in our neighborhood. And our wives, you know, we both have young, uh, they both have two one-year-olds and they wanted to connect. And so the wives are coming and connecting with, in a, in a mom's group where they're being mentored and cared for. And the two husbands tend to be a lot more apostolic. And so they, they're jumping in on the residents. And I really say, would say it's our neighbors and nations obligation to serve them because they're already running with a very clear calling. And so we, we, that's our first time we saw somebody from house church coming into our gathering legacy context. We've had many 
go from legacy context and go just into house church or, or do both. And the ones that are doing both, we really don't require or ask or really seek them out to say, hey, will you show up for these other events? Because we know they're bivocational, they're running house church, they're reaching lostness, and they want to come to connect to something larger. So we're there to serve and feed them and not really ask much out of them other than that. So it really depends on the capacity of the people and what they're called to as well. I love that picture of any church, quite honestly. We're there to serve the disciple makers and help them run, um, not try to own own or add to what we have. That's a great, great story of that. So any other lessons? What, what lessons have you learned on that whole journey now over the last few years? I think the lesson I continue to learn is um, how leaky vision is. And I have to keep casting vision. And that's sometimes on a Sunday gathering. Often it's with our staff, our paid staff that are freed up. And it's so easy to get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. This is in front of me. I got to do this. And that's sometimes that's important. And Jesus met needs of people in front of him. But if it's not with the background of, of healthy church multiplication and vision, we just get lost. So continuing casting vision. And sometimes that's often most effective through stories. And the blessing we have now is we have work to point to and fruit to point to. When we first started four years ago, I mean, it was like, hey, I got a house church in my house. If you're welcome, here's this big, exciting thing we're excited about. We saw God do in Africa and they're like, oh, that's just going to JT's house, you know, but now we can say, look at this and look at this. And, and the stories are, are kind of pouring in now. And it's a lot easier to point to work and have stories. And again, that is all we're doing is running the play, but we're not doing anything fancy, anything, you know, that's sharp. I think uh, learning what it means to serve a co-vocational person or a bivocational person is uh, we're still in the midst of that learning curve. So that's a new thing. But again, casting vision, how does this fit in to the patterns of the scriptures? How does this fit into our specific calling? And then also networking locally with other uh, legacy pastors that are open. I call them pastors of peace. We have this one couple, they're incredible. And they're from a different denomination. He is an evangelist by gift mix, and she's more of a strategist, and they kind of co-lead their church. They're now running their own legacy. They have four house churches in in their stream. Uh, They're incredible, and I just let them run, but we're buddies. We're partners. We're running side by side, and and God's, by his grace, used our stream to introduce movement to them, but it's we're we're co-team. Like, we're going to go do a training. We just say, hey, do you guys have any money available? And they say the same, but they were in our house church for a year and now they started their own and then they've multiplied, you know, three or four times. And so we see that to just, just a really cool win because they were ready. They were ready for that. And so we're trying to say who else out there in our neighborhood or in our city or in the greater Los Angeles area right now, we've, we've counted nine streams in greater LA um, that are running. And so it's like this kindred spirit of vision and passion. And we swap stories and hang out together. But we also um, co-labor together. And if somebody needs a shot in the arm and we're, we're doing some really cool stuff with Spanish speakers and we're kind of sharing those resources because it's new. And um, so, yeah, looking around and saying there's other people out there that want to run in this manner. Give me what would you how would you define the play? Because uh, I think sometimes we think like, oh, People hear about this and they're like, so that's just a new evangelism thing, right? It's probably an updated evangelism explosion or something. Or maybe it's like, 
Oh, I've heard a lot about house churches here and there, but that's just that. I mean, give it, how would you define that when you say just running the play? That's a really good question. I think we've defined it down to, you know, healthy rhythms of obedience that we're nudging each other towards. Mm. And it starts with the abiding in Christ. And so this personal abiding in Jesus and spending time with him, listening to his word and submitting to the word of God and submitting to the spirit of God. And saying those are the authorities by which that we answer to. It's not a denomination. It's not a church. It's not a, a place. It's not a, an elder board. We submit to the spirit of God and the, and the word of God. And then um, so it starts with abiding, but it also includes um, healthy church experience where it's um, very participation oriented. And that's the three thirds process that we found. It's probably not the best only view, uh, only process, but it's it's. I found it to be the most sustaining process I've ever seen in all my years of ministry. When people are really engaged in the way to where um, they're sharing uh, the different roles and they're actually owning the obedience parts of those and they're in the word and they're, they're caring for one another the way the, the New Testament describes it. It doesn't take an outside force to sustain it. Mm-hmm. And when it multiplies, if it multiplies health, that next generation doesn't take an outside force. It needs some coaching and it needs some encouragement, but there's not this, oh, you know, I have to, it's not up to me. It's Mm -hmm. up to the spirit and the people of God. So when I say run the play, are you abiding in Jesus? Are you meeting regularly in a three thirds process? And are you actively engaging in lost the people around you? And if, if it's really those three things are the Amen. Yeah, I would agree, man. The three thirds, I feel like one thing that gets under highlighted is its capacity for people to self shepherd each other just by setting them up in, in relationships. So I'd be curious then part of three thirds is a vision. Does the vision that you guys would cast in a three thirds meeting, how does that also sound on a Sunday morning? Uh, would just kind of love to know how that and vision leaks, all that comes together. What does that look like for you guys? Well, our vision that we wake up every morning that we would allow. God would use us to reach the 1.4 million people that are far from God in Long Beach and North Orange County to the point that they would ha- have the ability to say yes to Jesus. Hopefully, you can we can point to any leader and say, tell us our vision, and that would be repeated. And it, it's the same vision on Sundays as it is in a house church. And so does it look different? Yeah. And there's a lot of addition in the scriptures where people come to Christ by addition. And we don't think that's bad. We think that's great. We do act, active things on our campus. And, you know, we do a trunk or treat and some of the traditional things where it would bring people to campus. And we do, but we also have a a multiplying element to it as well. It's not, oh, if it's not this particular three thirds, we're not doing it. We're saying, Mm -hmm. hey, how does that fit into the greater vision of reaching those 1.4 million? Because there's, there's plenty of work. There's plenty of harvest, the labor, you know, the labors are few. And so multiplying health and, and I don't know how healthy our church is because it's full of broken people. You know, and so the scriptures are healthy and Jesus is healthy, but we're broken and we're failing forward. But I tell you what, we'll continue to go forward and we're going to continue to move forward. And I think people know that if people talk to our staff, they're like, well, you guys are sincere and you're passionate and you're biblical. I said, "Okay, I'll take that. You know, I'll take that. They're not saying you're flashy and, you know, um, you have a, a really great this or that. But they're like, man, you love Jesus and you're passionate about following him. And so. I consider that a win. Maybe two more things. I mean, just scope of the work then, just even limited as much as like coming out of your church, neighbors and nations. What what would you say over the last three years 
I guess I am asking you to brag on yourself, but I want to do it for the glory of God and so people can hear kind of what, what God has used. Well, it's interesting because I would say we're reaching more people than we ever have, but the numbers on Sunday are about the same. So it's really cool. And again, I, for whatever reason, that's been what God continues to do. So out of the first house church, there's been six churches planted out of that. Two have gone towards fourth generation. And then we've planted three or four outside, of, also out of our legacy church with other streams. The, the amount of leaders that are now actively engaging in their faith is incredible. Now we have a hub here in Southern California, and we mm-hmm. consider it a training hub, consider it a place to launch out of. So we've seen that kind of growth as well. And the other big thing is we just opened up a, a hub in Mexico. So we just had a team got back at 2.30 this morning from Mexico City. And so they're multiplying uh, movement in Mexico City and in the border. We have a couple there that's missionaries out of our church, which we're trying to replicate what God did in, in East Africa. That we've been doing forever working in the hub of Horn of Africa and for about 12 years now. So now we have two hubs, but we see that feeder of Tijuana, Mexico City as a chance to almost be a factory for leadership development as we learn from our, our brothers and sisters south of the border. And it's a whole nother fresh group of people that aren't called to Africa. So we're reaching the nations, but that impacts the, the here. So the home hub reaching the, the field hub and they have that reciprocal relationship. That's been super fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe I'd end with just anything on your heart to share. Maybe that's an encouragement. Maybe that's a challenge. Well, what's been on our heart is the whole sustainable shepherding. We just had a shepherding conference out here. People from 10 different cities in the NPL network came here and, and we're, it's not about the program. It's not about even a three thirds. It's about, you know, how do we come alongside people that want to run and how do we make sure there's multiply sustainable church and sustainable churches have to have a shepherding element. One thing that we learned that was fascinating in the scripture out of that last conference was it seems like the, the apostles would go into a new work and they were the shepherds until they rose up shepherds pretty quick. Paul appointed elders and shepherds and that freed up Paul and Barnabas to go to the next cities. And so it, it, we, that was kind of a really neat principle. So as we start new work, it doesn't mean we can't say, oh, I'm not a shepherd. We say, no, I'm here to care and shepherd and care for these people. And then as God raised up shepherds from within, then it frees us up, us apostles up to go to another work. Mm. And so just the, the importance of shepherding, the importance of long-term commitment and care for people and being there for the long haul. And there are people that are, that God is uniquely gifted in those areas. And there's a lot in scripture about shepherding and, you know, committing to the good shepherd. I mean, first Peter five with Peter says, as a, as a shepherd, as an elder, you know, shepherd the flock. Mm-hmm. He's like, I've done this and I've done, I've done this to you. Now you guys shepherd the flock. And then he tells them why, not out of compulsion, but out of love for Christ and not because you have to, not because out of financial gain. And, the, and so just training up shepherds, I think is the next wave for sustainability. You can check out the story of JT and his church getting started pursuing movements by visiting the show notes. One thing that really stood out to me is this. He shared the same vision for reaching lostness in this episode as he did originally over two years ago. If you have any comments or questions, head to ontheroad.link. That's ontheroad.link. Or you can call or text 321-209-3899. This is Feeney. Thanks for listening. The On The Road podcast is to encourage you and your church to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left 
where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.